Good morning, everyone. We have the opportunity to discuss with our authors with this AUA podcast this morning an abstract entitled A Deep Learning Algorithm for the Diagnosis and Gleason Grading of Whole Slide Images of Prostate Cancer Core Biopsies. I'll have the authors introduce themselves. They will give actually a brief overview of the abstracts. I'll be asking a few questions and then importantly, we'll hear take-home messages in terms of the key points. Professor Cott, go ahead, please. Dr. Cott, thank you. Thank you for uh, having us uh, this morning, and thanks so much for um, allowing us the opportunity to talk about our research. My name is Dr. Ohad Cott. I'm currently at Mount Sinai, uh, Miami Beach, Florida. This research was conducted when both Dr. Gershman and I were at Brown at the Minimally Invasive Urology Institute of Brown University and the Miriam Hospital. Um, I would like to allow Dr. Gershman to introduce himself. Certainly. So my name is Boris Gershman. Uh, I'm currently an assistant professor of surgery at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and as uh, Oad uh, mentioned, this is a uh, uh, collaborative work, uh, including uh, colleagues from Brown University, um, the urology group there, as well as uh, the pathology uh, a pathologist, Dr. Ali Amin, um, and the cognitive neuroscience um, team from uh, Tomas Serre, uh, who uh, are the deep learning experts. Great. Dr. Kott, give us a, a kind of an overview of the abstract. So uh, the abstract is, talk of, we, we developed a deep learning-based computer vision algorithm for the histopathologic diagnosis and glycine grading of prostate cancer in prostate core biopsy specimens. It was an extension of our previous work from last year in which we trained algorithm in identifying prostate cancer and glycine scoring based on small patches with annotations of glycine score three, four or five or benign. But in this time we allowed it to do unsupervised deep learning to predict entire prostate biopsy cores without annotation, just providing it with a label, very similarly to S, the way it would be performed by a pathologist or the way you would receive the, um, the diagnosis from a pathologist talking about a slide in entirety. And then we tested the accuracy of the algorithm compared to the diagnosis of the pathologist. The idea that, let's say, the, the issue with deep learning is that it is considered a black box. The training usually depends on the network architecture and the samples, and the network usually comes up with classification of images. In our case, Gleason scoring. So usually it is difficult to know why the algorithm came up with that particular classification, and our method allowed us to at least try to interpret what the neural network was doing. We, in this um, study that was a continuation of the previous one, we used the GradCam, the generalization of class activation map technique, and it allowed us to identify which part of the image are relevant for the network, for the decision-making. So we used that, and then we used a second method to validate the technique. We, we show that the algorithm actually identifies the same areas of the image as the pathologist would identify as relevant for the decision making. We created heat maps that showed which, reasons are, which regions are actually diagnostic. 
and we saw that the algorithm discovered how the tumor looks like. So basically, in our study, we showed that computer vision-based algorithm can detect uh, prostate cancer and uh, grade glycine scoring as good as fellowship-trained pathologists with um, accuracy that is specificity of 99% and average precision of 94%. Which is so let me ask let me stop you there. So specificity of ninety nine percent. So that means cancer versus no cancer, correct? Benign versus malignant, being accurate to that degree, correct? Correct. And that actually that figure is actually between Gleason three and Gleason four five. But that is the ballpark of the accuracy of the model. And so with this, you know, the abstract mentions more than three thousand five hundred biopsy cores that were evaluated. So if we increase the number of biopsy samples examined uh, to say double that amount, does the uh, basically artificial intelligence, the neural network, does it become even more accurate? Yes. So our previous um, study was done on smaller database and we also used slightly different um, technique. As I explained earlier, we used small patches, but yes, our algorithm definitely improved when we use more um, samples. And we hope that uh, as we get additional samples, maybe from collaborators, we will be able to improve the accuracy even further. A question you may not have the answer to is, a pathologist, when they get a sample, oftentimes will have some clinical data. Our pathologists beg us to provide as much clinical data as possible, a PSA score, a previous biopsy, that type of thing. Was that type of clinical information passed on or included in the evaluation by the computer as it was evaluating these core samples? Not at this stage. At this stage, we only looked at morphological features within the biopsy. I'll also just going to add to the previous question about data set uh, limitations, data set size. Um, you know, a lot of deep learning is really up and coming in terms of analyzing a lot of um, problems within oncology from radiology to pathology. But one of the barriers is that you need really large data sets of annotated images, which is obviously laborious for somebody to go through and annotate. And so these unsupervised learning approaches can compensate um, uh, where you don't have annotations looking at regions of interest, where you provide a whole slide image and let the machine simply learn from the label for that image. So all that was provided here was an image, whole slide image of a biopsy core and a label of either cancer, no cancer, or a label of benign versus at least in three or four to five. And with enough samples like that, the deep learning network is able to train and get pretty pretty good accuracy actually without actually showing it, you know, what the where the cancer slide may be annotated. Um, when you do this kind of a weekly supervised approach, you usually need a much larger data set. And so it was kind of surprising that with only 291 patients and about 3,700 whole slide images, the algorithm was able to obtain pretty good performance with an accuracy, you know, in excess of 90 plus percent for both classification tasks. You'd expect as the sample size gets bigger, that that performance should continue to improve. Obviously, you know, it needs external validation, which usually also has a little bit of a drop in performance. Um, but the other efforts, if you look at uh, compare, by comparison, uh, some of the things Google has done with retina scanning and deep learning there, it takes about 10 to 15,000 observations per classification task. So this is less, um, and certainly from a method standpoint, any effort that can 
decrease the size of the data set required for these unsupervised or weekly supervised learning approaches has obvious implications because you can then train on smaller and smaller data sets, which makes this a practical method for a lot of clinical applications. Great. So two follow-up questions, and then I'll give you guys a chance to really give us the take-home messages. The first question would be, you know, what is then, clearly we can't get a bar of 100%, but what would you feel is acceptable in light of the fact that there's always human error, there's always disagreements in terms of pathologic or radiographic evaluations, is the bar, should it be 99%, should it be 98%? What do you think would be a reasonable bar of accuracy? So, so I think there's a good kind of um, uh, rule of thumb that is a practical one, and that's simply to be non-inferior to human pathologists. And so there's a fair amount of interpretive variability that's been documented, especially in studies that use pathologist panels, you know, of three or 20 pathologists. Uh, and I think simply uh, reproducing that interpretive variability, that error rate, which can be as high as 20, 25%, um, it seems like the most practical goal to, to try and obtain, uh, unless we can really agree that there's going to be some sort of consensus goal standard by, you know, the, the top pathologists for labeling something. Uh, but even there, I think for something like this to be rolled up into practice, um, that uh, if you can be non-inferior to be accepted in terms of a variability between pathologists and an expert system like this uh, can, can be sort of competitive with that. So that leads to the second question, which is, hopefully the more provocative one. You are, Dr. Gershman, in the Boston area currently where a lot of the work is being done on radiographic evaluations and interpretation of, of, of mammograms and evaluations for multiple different um, uh, sources where you could utilize this artificial intelligence, the deep learning. So the next question is, so how long do our pathologists actually have before computers take over for them? So it's, it's a good question, and, and certainly um, this is not meant to sort of uh, provoke controversy in the sense of replacing pathologists. Um, Full disclosure, you are a surgeon, correct? Correct. Okay, yep. great. Um, okay. I just wanted to clarify that yep, for the yep, audience. Yep. Um, no, but th this comes up, and, you know, it's, 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 it's I think, a mix for a fascinating conversation um, about whether, you know, the goal or intent would be to replace a human in the setting of either radiologist or deep learning for radiology interpretation or pathologist. Um, and certainly many arguments can be made for sort of scaling such expert systems to, from a public health standpoint, you know, to areas of the world where there may not be adequate numbers of pathologists or fellowship trained radiologists to sort of extend this kind of thing. Uh, and Google's done some work with that. Um, however, I think the, the true application would be to increase efficiency and throughput for pathology, for instance, rather than to replace pathologists. I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. Um, but more so, I think, to pivot and shift focus a little bit and ask, can we predict other things than just diagnosis with these deep learning algorithms? So I kind of view this as a first step towards being able to uh, predict other things with deep learning computer vision algorithms from either imaging or slides. and. As you alluded, there's work being done looking at five-year risk of breast cancer for mammograms, for instance, and, and you can predict risk of all-cause mortality from a single chest radiograph, um, things like that. And to me, those are the more provocative applications for which I think this forms the infrastructure. And so I think it's going to augment and help make pathology and radiology more powerful in its prognostic and predictive ability, but I certainly don't think it's going to replace or compete with pathologists or radiologists for what they do. Uh, this is incredibly fascinating. Do you want to, uh, either Dr. Codd or Dr. Gershman, just give us basically a summary sentence or two regarding the abstract and I think importantly where you as a group of investigators plan to go next? Basically, 
Our next step would be to validate these results with bigger cohorts, improve the performance, and also try to predict prognosis because, as you mentioned, there are many other features that were not introduced into the algorithm. And maybe the computer vision can come up with a morphologic feature that was unknown until now. We would also like to um, validate these results as is on other databases, get more pathologies to get that consensus that you mentioned. And maybe um, we, would, we could check the role, as you mentioned, the role of these kind of algorithms in a method for quality assurance that will minimize human errors and maybe allow medical centers with limited access to high quality pathology diagnosis to use that as, as a referral check other options that are not clinical, but more um, economical, see the impact on the healthcare system as a whole. Dr. Gershman, last words? So certainly, so I, I think this is preliminary work uh, and our uh, subsequent efforts are focused on expanding this, validating it, but also uh, applying it to other settings, such as prediction of other, of other outcomes. Um, uh, so I think this is just the beginning, um, not just for sort of this this effort, but we're at the beginning of deep learning in medicine in general. Uh, and I think when we look back 10 years from now, it's going to be orders of magnitude and scale different than what we anticipated it is right now. This is Sam Chang. I want to take this opportunity to thank the authors, Dr. Cod and Dr. Gershman, who have really provided us an insight and given me a little bit of learning about deep learning and its possibilities in terms of not only improving patient care, but allowing a better prediction for the future possible therapeutic interventions for all our patients. Thank you again and appreciate all your efforts.